0: Welcome to today's edition of the Bible Class. Our teacher, Dr. Kenneth C. Hill, is teaching from the New Testament book of 2 Peter. You may send your questions by email through our website at whcbradio.org. That's whcbradio.org. You may mail your questions to the Bible Class. Care of WHCB, Post Office Box 5, Buntville, Tennessee, 37617. And now, here is Dr. Hill with today's lesson.
1: Welcome to the Bible class. We are continuing our study on the second epistle general of Peter. And we're in chapter 3, where we're learning about living in the hope of the Lord's second coming. In 2 Peter chapter 3, we have already taken a look at the fact that Peter wanted to stir up the remembrance of those who read his epistle so that they would remember uh, what had already been spoken by both the prophets in the Old Testament and the apostles in the New Testament. And he equates both the prophets of old and the apostles of the New Testament to be equal in their writings and equal in their commandments. And so we then are told that mockers would come and that they would ignore the truth of Scripture. And then in verse 8, Peter begins to teach us about God's timetable. But, beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord is a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. All right, now we talk about these who are willingly ignorant, where the word of God gives forth the truth of the flood of Noah's time, And the judgment that God sent through that flood, that was willing ignorance. And here in verse 8, he's speaking to the beloved, that is, to the followers of Jesus Christ. And Peter is writing to say, I would not want you to have ignorance, to express ignorance, nor to be ignorant of this thing, this one thing that he's teaching on is that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. God has his own time, and his own time table. Verse 9 continues, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. One commentator has stated that if simply withholding judgment for a long period of time would be sufficient for mankind to get saved, to be saved, to come to faith in Christ, then he would certainly postpone judgment. He's not slack concerning his promise promise of judgment, but It's his long-suffering, it's his patience, it's his love. Not willing that any should perish, and that all should come to repentance, and so he is taking his time with the judgment. And verse 9 tells us that God is not willing that any should perish, and that expresses his desire for the salvation of all who will trust in him. And you notice that salvation is equated here with repentance. Verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. Christ had spoken of that. In the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also, and the works that are therein, shall be burned up. Righteousness. As we study, we need to realize and remember that the day of the Lord here refers to the return of Christ in judgment, not to the rapture of the church, not to that coming of Christ in the clouds to gather his own. This day results in the final apocalyptic judgment. The heavens that are will pass away with great noise. These are the atmospheric heavens. These are the clouds, what we see above us. The elements shall melt with fervent heat. Uh, Many uh, have written about that being a nuclear holocaust. It could be, but it could be uh, different kinds of uh, meteor activity. It could be uh, with uh, all sorts of technology, or it could be just simply... um, cataclysmic activity from the earth, uh, from inside the earth to the outside of the earth. The elements shall melt with a fervent heat. So you can have a nuclear holocaust if you want, or you can have one of a hundred or a thousand other things happen. The truth is, Peter is urging his readers to look beyond this present world. It's going to burn up. It's going to melt away. And so we need not to be uh, putting our ho- hopes and trust in this world, but we should be looking to the new heavens and new earth that are characterized by the righteousness that God would have us to show forth. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. Righteousness on to verse 14. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, be diligent that ye may be found of him in peace without spot and blameless. And so because we are the beloved in Christ, we need to be looking for that new heaven and new earth, and we be diligent. In our diligence we will find the truth without question. But we must be in Christ without spot, without blemish, without uh, blame, without problem, and we should be in peace. Verse 15: An account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, even as our beloved brother Paul, also according to the wisdom given unto him, hath written unto you as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest, as they do also the other scriptures, unto their own destruction. Ye therefore, beloved, seeing ye these things before, beware, lest ye also, being led away with the error of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness. But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory, both now and forever. Amen. There in verses 14 through 18, as we end the third chapter, Peter's reference to our beloved brother Paul seems to show us that the rift between Peter and Paul was not a permanent rift. And Peter further refers to Paul's epistles in relation to the other scriptures. He equated them with all other scriptures, including the Old Testament. And so here, Peter says, our beloved brother Paul is writing inspired word, the inspired word of God. And as he has written to you, so I also have written to you. And so we should be aware of these things. We should never be led away by the wicked. We should never be led captive by our own desires. We should never fall from our own steadfastness. But what we should do, verse 18, expands it and says, Grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. In this third chapter, false teaching about Christ, which denies his deity and power, results in false thinking. The first question that it would raise in our minds is whether or not the coming, the second coming of Jesus Christ, is a reality or if it's just fiction. And so, as that question might be raised about the coming of Christ, Peter reminds the readers that the things Jesus had said were so. Men misunderstood Christ. They thought his return might be in that generation. Peter tells them that time is nothing with God. Remember that thing from verse 8, Be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. He will keep his promise as God has always kept his promises, according to his own time. In verse 9, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness. He's not willing that any should perish. He's long-suffering to usward. Not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. We would say, as all would repent and be saved. The last days are also considered to be and should be considered sad days. Think about the mockers, the scoffers, the questioners, those who make fun and say, Where's the promise of Christ's coming? And they say, according to Peter here, that everything is the same as it has been, just as it has been from creation. There's no difference. There's nothing special. Nature goes on as nature always has. There have been no signs of any radical change. The promise of Christ's second coming is something that has failed, they might say. These scoffers are evil people. The sad truth today is that many good people, people thought to be good anyway, scoff at the soon coming of Jesus Christ. They scoff at the promise of the second coming of Jesus Christ. They make sport of the great hope of the church. How illogical is their reasoning about Christ's not coming? Here they are. He had not yet come in Peter's day. And so they say, well, he's not coming. Nothing different had happened, they thought. So nothing unusual was going to happen because nothing different had happened yet. Because our Lord has not come yet. Should we give up hope of Christ's second coming? Of course not. We should rejoice in the fact that his return is closer every day. Peter reminds the skeptics that a mighty flood drowned the world once and Christ likened his coming to the flood in Matthew twenty-four thirty-seven and 38. There's no doubt that Peter heard Christ teach that. But next time, God will destroy the earth by fire. Is it going to be a literal fire? Was the flood a literal flood? Yes, it was. So stored within the earth are oils, gases, and fire enough to burn it up. Think of all the gas that they're discovering through the various fracking efforts, through the new technologies uh, that are uh, being hailed as great things for energy production. What about volcanoes? The volcanoes that erupt release so much into the atmosphere, more than any human beings could release in a hundred years. According to scientists, most tell us that we have a crust of earth about 30 miles in depth, and beneath this is a mass of molten matter, And that a word God could just release a spout of that matter and could bury the earth in literal fire right there. You wouldn't have to have some sort of nuclear devastation. You could do it with just the fire from inside the earth, as I've said. But if nuclear devastation was wreaked upon us, what a catastrophe that would be. Then the collision of earth with some sort of meteors or some sort of other celestial uh, body. We know that when God's clock strikes and the hour is sounded in God's timetable, the earth will melt with a fervent heat. The earth shall be burned up, and in the great explosion, the heavens, that is, the atmosphere above us the air and oxygen and nitrogen and all that's in the the air above us will pass away according to 2 Peter 3:13 new heaven and new earth a new heavens and new earth will be released or emerged uh, at that time. Today, men and women think they know everything. They're pretty stuck up, really. Satan will not give up his hold on the earth without protest. His days of liberty are numbered. And when Jesus shall reign, we know Satan is bound. Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last day scoffers walking after their own lusts and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? But the day of the Lord will come. Scorn, scoffing, people saying the flood's not going to come. Noah didn't keep the flood away in Noah's time. When the flood came, it was unloosed on the entire world. The angel's mighty trumpet will make short work of men's foolish, I don't believe it, and I don't think it's true, or I don't see it, I don't see how it can happen. According to God's own promise, we, who are in Christ, look for new heavens and a new earth, wherein dwells righteousness. It will not be entirely a destruction. A new earth will be constructed from the molten mass. Look toward the east, for the son of righteousness arise with healings in his wings. Malachi 4.2. So what effect should that have upon our lives? That's really the question there in verse 14. We should be diligent in our service, striving always to be peaceable, spotless, and blameless. We shouldn't grow careless because Christ is delaying his coming, for one day the Lord will come and it will be suddenly. We should be patient while he delays his coming, knowing that he does it because of his long-suffering and He would give the last man, woman, and child a chance to accept him. What lives we ought to be living for Christ as we await his second coming. We may hasten it by our holy living. Faith in the return of our Lord must lead to this. We need to have holy conversation. Our speech needs to be holy. We need to be looking forward. We need to be looking for Christ's second coming And we need to be diligent in being found in him there in verse 14. Peter's last word of warning is beware. This is a note of caution. Beware lest you also being led away with the error of the wicked fall from your own steadfastness. Beware. And the remedy against falling back or backsliding, if you will, is to grow. To grow is to make progress. Grow in the grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, Peter writes. Are you growing in your knowledge of Christ? Christian knowledge is an effective weapon against the heresy of those who hate the Christians. If you're not growing, be very careful you're going to fall by the wayside. We're living in a wicked world where men are enemies of God and his truth and enemies of those who would stand with God and with his truth. Anything that's alive should grow. When there's no growth, there's no life. And the foundation of growth is the knowledge of Jesus Christ. As we grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we grow in our likeness unto Christ. It works to our advantage to see Christ and his second return in our near future. Second Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 14 show us Christian virtues. Christ's word is exalted in second Peter 1:15 through 21. We're taught of the Christless teachers in second Peter 2 1 through14. We see Christ against the backslider in 2 Peter 2, 15 through 22. We see the coming of Christ scoffed in 2 Peter 3, 1 through 9. We see Christ coming assured in 2 Peter 3, 10 through 18. And in 2 Peter 1, 1 through 3 and 18, we see
0: Christ, our hope. Thank you for joining us today for this edition of The Bible Class with Dr. Kenneth C. Hill. You may reach us by email by going to our website, whcbradio.org and sending us an email on the Contact Us link. That's whcbradio.org. If you prefer to use the postal service, our address is the Bible Class, WHCB, Post Office Box 5, Blountville, Tennessee, 37617. That's the Bible Class, care of WHCB, Post Office Box 5, Blountville, Tennessee, 37617. You may also call us at 423-878-6279. Until our next Bible class program, we are trusting that the Lord will richly bless you as you serve Him.